Hey, Joe. So we have we have some things to give away, and we want to give them away in a meaningful uh, way that feels like we're getting sort of some exchange of energy here because these are some really, really cool offerings. Um, tell everybody about your connection with Simon & Schuster, um, who seem to be, uh, you know, kind of making it in the publishing industry now. Um, yeah, they've really come a long way. They're coming along, yeah. Uh, but tell us about what our listeners can get if they pledge uh, 99 cents a month um, on our anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast page. Between now and the end of January, we're going to run a raffle. Uh, all the people who sign up to support the podcast will be entered, and we will pick two people who will win uh, the new release from Simon & Schuster, um, which is a, uh, the new uh, memoir by the legendary Jackie Chan. Uh, Never Grow Up is uh, a great memoir uh, that Jackie wrote about his you know, his life as a child actor, his uh, career in Hollywood, his personal life, and uh, all the struggles he's gone through, not only as a martial artist and a movie star, but also just as a man and a husband and a father. Um, like, that's so cool. And, yeah. and, and by the way, like these editions are really, really beautiful. Yeah, they're, they're really, uh, really handsome hardcover, uh, kick-ass photo of Jackie there on the front. So uh, they're, um, uh, yeah, it's really, it's a really cool book. Um, and uh, longtime listeners might remember that we had a great discussion with Matthew Polly, who wrote a biography about um, Bruce Lee for Simon and Schuster earlier, the, or earlier in, in season three. We mm-hmm. we had him on, and it was through that same connection that when I found out there's a Jackie Chan book, you know, I, I just frankly I just contacted him and said, yeah. Hey, can we interview yeah. Jackie Chan? Yeah. <laughs> and they said Jackie. He wasn't doing any any interviews about the book, but then they offered to send us a couple to share with our listeners. So we're happy to do that. That's so cool. So all you got to do to be eligible is go to anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and, and help us out and get yourself a, a shot at a, a really amazing uh, book and obviously like a, a life and a story that goes beyond probably what people even conventionally know of him that will be something really cool to have, uh, not just mm-hmm. on your coffee table, but in your in your brain right exactly uh, and jackie's such a perfect example uh, of of what the art fight podcast is all about so i'm excited to give this away yeah so all right so there you have it uh thanks joe for making that happen and also thanks to simon and schuster and so again anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast click on support this podcast you'll be automatically entered we'll pick somebody uh two people at the end of january all right thanks everyone Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Art Fight Podcast. Uh, we are here with Chris Reaney today, who is the comic artist and uh, otherwise artist uh, of the infamous MMA Squared comic series on Bloody Elbow. And if you are not familiar with what Bloody Elbow is, uh, it's not as bad as it seems. Uh, <laughs> it's just a really solid MMA, uh, storied MMA um uh, publication essentially on, on the web, but uh, anyway. But Chris, thank you for joining us uh, via satellite, uh, but not really satellite vo- via phone uh, in New York City. What's up, man? No, and thank you very much for having me on. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here. Yeah. So it, it, it's, I love the idea that um, when when you can when I think what's exciting about what you're doing is that uh, you see art actually 
manifesting inside the sort of ecosystem uh, of mixed martial arts and mixed martial arts journalism, which for people like us that are kind of diehard fans uh, and and consumers, voracious consumers of these things, then you know we we love uh, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, just regular. Uh, things that you can count on that are speaking your language. And I got to say that what you're doing is, is uh, you've done a lot of clearly hard work to get to this point, but, uh, but your comic series is, is fantastic. And I love that that's a regular thing we can count on. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, that was uh, in 2018. I made the decision that uh, after kind of dropping out of the media for a little while, that I, I was going to get published again. And uh, I had uh, I had gone on like a little Twitter rant. Um, I don't know if you remember, uh, maybe about a year ago, um, Floyd Mayweather put out those <laughs> the, that little diptych of paintings, uh, him and Connor, and it, it was really like <laughs> poppy, you know, it was very pop art. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to knock the, <clears throat> the execution, but the. Uh, there were things about it that were wrong, that were like really, you know, kind of, kind of, this, this is my take. Floyd is a multimillionaire, therefore he should have like, he should have, he, he could have afforded high quality work. And there was a lot of hack stuff going on in that work that it just felt like was totally unnecessary. It wasn't like a, you know, budget guy who was like, to paint this poster that already exists. It's like, you, know, you can get whatever you want if you, if you have the money. So, uh, well, you, I went on a little you, rant about about you, that, citing all the compositional, you know, um, missteps and <laughs> and really lazy art making that went into the piece, and uh, it did really well. And like, you know, a bunch of people retweeted it, and I said to myself, you know, if I if I just speak my mind, maybe uh, maybe I'll do well. So I just started keeping the, the artwork simple and just kind of saying what I thought, and then after about three weeks of doing that. I, I said, oh, I'm going to publish every Thursday. I was tagging a bunch of editors and a bunch of journalists and all the pictures. In about three weeks, somebody from Vox contacted me and said they wanted to publish my work. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's how the best things happen, clearly, right? Organically and naturally. And, and uh, I, I love that it's actually kind of meta with respect to what you do because you're taking these broad complex sentiments and applying them to a, a single frame or a series of frames and there's a lot of complexity um in, in, uh, inside what you're you're doing that you have to somehow simplify and make a, a clear you know sort of utterance that is of value and and can be picked up quickly and appreciated and so the idea that it was born of a natural um you know sort of uh Resol more resolute, uh, opinionated you is a really cool thing. Yeah, I feel very lucky that, uh, but I mean, I guess I spent a long time, uh, trying to walk the middle ground, you know, and, uh, give like a, a nuanced view, but not, not push too far into hagiography or outright criticism. And, you know, the results, you know, I made a lot of art, but I, I could see how my, like my voice and my, uh, opinions about the the real the realities that fighters face you know that that wasn't able to be amplified and you know i probably suffered i don't say suffered i just you know didn't cultivate um the uh the perspective that uh, i do now where i feel like i don't know the things that i'm saying will stand the test of time a lot better 
you know, maybe, maybe you know, the thing being on the right side of history, maybe I'll end up that way. At least I have a chance now. <laughs> what about, um, tell us a little bit about your process. Are you actually doing, um, uh, are they watercolor uh, paintings that you're doing, or is it gouache, or what What am I looking at when I see your work? Actually, right now, the pen and ink and Copic marker. Oh, okay. Um, I started playing around with brush pens, uh, you know, maybe a, maybe a year or two ago. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I like, uh, you know, a couple, of, this, that seems to be like a brush pen and quill pen work. Uh, I follow a lot of illustrators uh-huh. on Twitter, and that's a medium, those are mediums I've never tried before. And I, I, I like them, and they're beautiful, and I, I think a Copic marker um, kind of, uh, has that kind of, uh, what's the word, like that volatility. Uh-huh. You know, like you make a stroke and it's like, it has a lot of character to it. It's not uniform or anything. Right. And they do look like watercolors. Right, they so, really do. That's, yeah. I can uh, I can paint, but I have to paint a bit large. And uh, these, these pieces that I publish are quite small. Uh-huh. So the, the marker actually works a lot better for me. How, give, give me a sense of, uh, of that. Give me a sense of like what an original looks like. How big are we talking about? So the size of a regular piece of paper? Or like what are, you, what are you painting on and how big are they? Or drawing on and how uh, big are they? Right now I'm, I have, a, well now that I'm doing five days a week, I got like just a really high quality hardcover spiral book uh-huh. that can accept watercolor or like really can accept wet mediums. Yeah. Uh, so if I do have like, I do have paint, I do paint a little bit. Um, I just don't like where my, my skills are at right now, but I yeah, want to yeah. be able to do a lot of rich color work. So I have a really high quality book and I just, and I just have a mobile studio. Everything that I do is, can be in my backpack and I can just kind of be That's do my awesome. job anywhere from the city. Yeah, that's really great, man. I really, I really love, I love the way that sounds. I do a lot of, believe it or not, a lot of uh, T square and right angle uh, planning. That's where a lot of my work is, or at least a lot of my uh, my my planning goes in that way. So the the Thursday, the long form piece that I do mm-hmm. is usually like uh, two inch by two inch squares, or you know maybe three inch. You oh know, wow! Yeah. Like that. Interesting. I work very small at the moment. Yeah, that's really cool, man. Um, uh, I was gonna also say that one thing. One thing I like about it, I write a lot about art. Like I review like gallery shows all the time and stuff. And um, uh, and yeah, well, it makes me when I see stuff that I find. I mean, really, I mean, I found you because I saw your saw your drawings, and I'm like, who who's drawing this stuff? And then I realized that that this was this whole thing that had developed with Bloody Elbow, and I'm like, this guy's like the perfect guest for the podcast, right? Because you got the art thing, the fight thing, it's all right there. Um, but one thing I noticed about the, uh, you know, about the um, drawings that you're doing is they really that that watercolor look that those markers are giving you, um, they really remind me of like uh, courtroom uh, paintings that we'll see like when when we're not allowed to see a televised trial and so you'll see the courtroom paintings, you know, that'll be cranked out like every day, you know, and they're they're very stylized because they're very in the moment trying to capture what's happening in the courtroom. And I feel like your stuff, that that look that sort of echoes those courtroom uh, paintings, um, it really, it, 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 it's a cool, it's a cool reference to me because whether you're doing it on purpose or not, it's cool reference because, because like I was just saying, those paintings do two things. They document something, but they're also like a quick grab at something that happened. And I think that like, when I think of like your painting that you did of, 
Yair's uh, elbow knockout against the Korean zombie, right? That's like, I love right. that painting. You know, I, lo- I think that, or that drawing, I think it's a great little piece, but I think it's great because like, it really captured that thing that happened that is such a weird, crazy thing. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah. that, that moment that is one. such a crazy moment. It's, it's still blowing my mind that, that I actually saw that moment happen. And like, uh, you know, the fact that you documented that with, uh, with what looks like a courtroom painting, it's like, it's very, it's a very cool look given the subject matter that you're covering. Oh, cool. Thank you. I, I love that you picked up the court, um, illustrator. I, I wouldn't say that's something that I consciously thought of, but those are something I love. I think they're beautiful and similar to what you're saying. They don't look just like the person, uh-huh. but it couldn't be anybody else, if that makes sense. That's a that's an idea that I have had about portraiture uh-huh. for a long time. Like, um, I used to draw pictures of, say, my family members, and they would say, like, that doesn't really look like me, but you know, but it couldn't really be. You know who you look at it. You know who it is, even though it's not say, a yeah. realistic representation of that person. I, I always like that type of uh, um, portraiture. I guess that's the best way to put it. Yeah. So that's like a. Um, it's like a precise abstract. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 That's so strange. Almost like the the idea of cubism, right? Where you're like reducing yeah. things down to their their essence to the point where it's like you know you know it's a guitar even though it doesn't actually look like a guitar that's very much um the idea behind some of my work wow Um, i think that you know like one of the ways that i want to do portraiture is where it's not about the the single frame but like the motion of somebody i think that that's that is the mma portrait it's like the 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 running, leaping across the fence of Anthony Pettis, that is the same as the seated face on portraiture. You know, that, that is who he is as much as, you know, a detailed rendering of his face. You know, that. Yeah. And, and what, what I like too is that m- most of the, uh, I guess you can call it art, uh, in a lot of this realm, like you said, even at the highest level, these people with massive, infinite budgets you, you prove that you can't. Uh, you can't buy happiness or taste, right? Um, but, uh, but you know, like I love the idea that it's not, um, you know, like weird sort of cartoonish, hyper masculine abs and like kind of ragey uh, sort of aesthetic. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. It. I. I couldn't. I can't even. Um, I couldn't bring myself to do that. You know, and and that's not to. Yeah to, um, you know, give, give a hard time to anyone who does, because there are some people who do some fantastic, uh, you know, um, you know, whatever you would call action shots, you know, like classic uh, moments and, uh, and um, you know, very recognizable, um, what's the word, like alpha achievement, you know, glory, that's the kind of... Uh, yeah. Words I'd use, you know, um, Gorilla the Bear is uh, his name is Adam. He's a he's another MMA themed artist. I don't know him. Uh, are you no. familiar with his work? Oh, I, I strongly recommend checking him out. Gorilla the Bear. Okay. He does these fantastic illustrations. <laughs> I love his name. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Adam Nelson. Uh, we've talked a couple times. Actually, he's a very very nice guy, uh, very humble, and uh, that was that was cool. Um, 
he does work. I think uh, Reebok put out a couple of his uh, pieces recently. I think one for Nate and one for Khabib and oh, one cool. for Connor. Wow. I mean, one of the and, things. Uh, one of the things I think is really interesting too is that, and I've loved your sort of perspective on this, um, which is, you know, uh, just the notion of uh, cart traditional cartoon artistry inside the the now what is now sort of meme uh culture combined with the specialization of what exactly you're alluding to right now in terms of these archetypal um symbolic uh triumphant sort of you know like as you described whatever uh like alpha achievement uh moments uh that then flow somehow through the the media sphere into you know street art large format or these other sort of iconifications you know so it's like a weird echo chamber that you're right in the middle of but i guess mostly i'm just interested in uh, what it's like to be sort of holding on and, and carrying on some aspects of traditional cartooning but at the same time uh within really what is just a a, a meme culture that same whatever that same attention span or brain frequency or uh satisfying sort of quick capture of an image and uh an elicited sort of feeling or an impression or a uh you know translation of it it seems to be like all on the same kind of radio station right so i'm just curious about what it's like for you to be sort of in the middle of that i hope that question makes sense it does it does very much so um there is um, a real need to like regulate oneself because it is um like the the culture and the audience is like hungry and will readily devour anything you produce at whatever rate you produce it and that is a real um is a real danger for a burning yourself out or b you know running so much and so fast to satisfy people that you don't take time to think about what it is you're trying to what the greater arc of your you know artistic career is meant to be so now that um, MMA Squared is five days a week, I actually feel like I, I can see it and understand it better. Uh, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I do my single panel, and I think about the far side. You know, that's something I grew up um, reading like very and uh, cool. loving, like the, the ideas that he had, where you would either have like a ridiculous image and like some deadpan you know, uh, you know, descriptor or dialogue, or you would have some, you know, kind of seemingly serious or mundane imagery paired with some bizarre uh, context or, you know, once again, dialogue. And that, that's something I really think about when I make my work. Is it going to be a funny picture or funny words? Because if you do both or both serious or both silly, you kind of like... Uh, there's no push and pull, and and, and it doesn't resonate with people. It's kind of a, it kind of it botches, I guess. Yeah. So how, that's that, that's another question I have is sort of you know how how do you know when you, what you do really sucks and you should not put it out and you know that that goes into the bin of things that the world will never see. Oh. Uh, or if that doesn't happen, <laughs> hey, you know, good, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I hit this. Um, this moment, maybe about 10 or 12 years ago, where I started doing uh, wood engraving, and it was so labor-intensive 
and so demanding of like my time and also physically demanding that I was like, I can't afford to like just try something out and see if it turns out good. I have to actually just like do a bit more planning and, and make a good piece because I can't waste like 10, 20, 30, 40 hours on a piece and be like, Oh, I guess I didn't think it out too well. And that was a waste. All right. You yeah. know, it's not a piece of paper <laughs> Yeah. and doing that for so long, I did that, I did that for, I don't know, maybe that's six or seven years or something like that. That, uh, maybe that, that helped me, uh, um, develop a skill for yeah. self-editing <laughs> yeah. it's funny because mm-hmm. like what you're saying reminds me so much of um like so for instance uh about 10 years ago just for fun i went back to school uh and actually there in new york i went to um hunter college and uh well, and, you know, so did I. Oh, excellent. oh nice yeah i also went to city college um i went yeah i went to city then i went to hunter um so awesome. I, I took a class at hunter called writing about art and uh, it was written by the, or the class was given by the woman who uh, wrote the book, writing about art. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, but the point is, and I think I've mentioned this before because th- it was an interesting sort of thing. But uh, I turned in my first paper. Here I am in my, you know, at that time I was in my mid thirties, and so I'm clearly older than everybody else. I turn in my first paper that I've written in years, and th- the professor is like, "Oh my God, this is such a great example of exactly what I want for this assignment." You know, can we? can you share with the group how you wrote this paper and, and uh, you know, your process? And I was like, okay, I don't really have one. She's like, what do you mean? I was trying to explain to them and a couple of others that I grew up writing papers at the last minute on a typewriter. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's the equivalent of like your wood block there. It's like, I got really like my early brain patterns got cemented as like committing to words and ideas and being able to sort them in some sort of a rational sort of flow. Uh, and you had to create this artifact that you can't screw up or make look all shitty. That was a whole other problem that we had back then that, you know, you could have the the, yeah. the greatest paper in the world, but if you had whiteout and crusty stuff all over it, they would just throw it back at you. So anyway, I was just like, I'm sorry, I don't really know what to tell you. I just, you know, internalized what my path was for writing. And then I just sat down and I just typed it all out because it was last minute. I, I do that on purpose because that's how I write the best because that's how I learned how to write. Right, right. I uh, similarly, one of the ways that I, you remember you were asking about say, meme culture and how to, you know, fit in with that. I started doing MMA squared on my lunch break with like a number two pencil on post-it notes. And that is exactly what I don't want to do. You know, I like to have my order, my studio, whatever. I have things set up to work and make a nice piece of whatever. And I gave myself those limitations because I had to publish every Thursday at noon, you know, and I, I couldn't, you know, waste time. I couldn't, you know, indulge in, in refinement and whatnot. And that's kind of carried over to now. You know, sometimes there is a little smudge or a mistake and I can't control V on a piece of paper. And every once in a while on the body elbow side, I'll even include it in the captions. I know one time the most egregious thing I ever did was I did a a new set, you know, one of the multi-panels. I did a fictional story about Conor McGregor going broke. <laughs> and uh, I did the, uh, you know, the, there was a, you know, the fellow who died in the ring uh, while fighting one of Conor's uh, teammates. 
Oh, you know, yeah. I, in my story, that was one of the things that, you know, really affected him. And uh, I did a little panel of a newspaper, you know, and it's a fighter dies, you know, in a cave or something like that. And, you know, I'm just banging these things out, and I just totally misspelled something. And I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not really doing that panel. I'm just going to publish it and, <laughs> you know, jam a little extra letter in there and just write in the caption, this is how we do <laughs> well, you know what? That's that's the one that'll be worth more uh, down the road. The original will be worth more. Right, right, exactly, exactly. It's my Billy Ripkin. <laughs> I know, especially when Connor actually goes broke, it's gonna be worth a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I can see it happening. It's happened to so many of them. I, I don't think we're in any danger of Connor going broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I still have to do the third part of it. And I, it's funny. Somebody actually emailed me. It's like, hey, man, you know, I, I skipped a number. You know, I used to number my episodes because I only published once a week. And he's like, hey, man, I noticed you skipped the number. And I noticed that, uh, that uh, you know, we were still waiting on the, the part three of that story. I was checking in to see if you're working on it. Are you going to publish it? It actually was really nice to know that somebody had, uh, you know, taken that in and, uh, and really enjoyed it and wanted to see how it turned out. So I'll, I'll get on. I'll publish that one day when there's another break in the schedule. <laughs> yeah, one. Uh, I don't know if you're like a music head fully. I know you said that you were in a band, right? Oh yes, yeah. I technically still am. Ah, well, uh, what, what do you play, or what do you, what do you, what's your jam? Uh, all instrumental, kind of proggy, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> like. Uh, oh boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, is, uh, like what is it like? Late late sixties, early seventies, like yes, Frank Zappa, stuff can, like that. Right, and then, little, uh, little late nineties. Yeah, a little bit of can in there. Rock. A little bit of can in there. Like, excuse me. A little bit of can. Yeah, a little bit, a little yeah. bit. But you know what? You know, like in the late nineties, that post rock scene with Tortoise and Shalagwai and Trans Am. Yeah, you know, I was in college for that. I used to go see all those bands. The whole the whole so, Chicago you know, like, scene. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Going to school in New York and thinking, oh gosh, you must be so cool in Chicago. All those guys are <laughs> all there playing all the time, and you know, I'm sure it was not not anywhere near as amazing as when you imagine when you're young. You know. Yeah. No, but that's 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 awesome. I I I'm a recovering drummer of about twenty something years, um, sure. and I I came up with uh, you know that weird ill-advised tendency to play complicated music for no reason um yeah totally yeah <laughs> so I, so i know how i know how that 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 feels for sure um yeah so like when when you're um like what all of your sort of creative it, you're obviously doing music you're obviously a consumer of like uh fighting do you train I do train in, in BJJ. Uh, oh. I am the worst person in class. I'm <laughs> old. So uh, that's that's currently how things are going. <laughs> but I wanted to do it. Uh, I did it a couple years ago, and I guess I just wasn't really in the, the right space to, to learn. You know, like you, I, just, I had trouble uh, retaining. It was hard to retain information. I was the only white belt in the class. It was a small school. And then uh, a couple of years ago, I ended up meeting my, my wife, having kids, and, you know, just putting it off, putting it off. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to be 40 soon. i got to do this. So so I go now, and I'm very happy that I do. 
Yeah, cool. What is your what is your advice for uh, people who want to start uh, BJJ uh, as they're approaching forty? <laughs> oh man, do it, do it. Unless unless you got some rich history of contact, um, you know, then you can come up with an excuse not to do it. <laughs> no, I, I really, I would say just do it. If, if I'm I'm not an imposing person at all, and. Uh, I've, I've had a good experience. You know, one of my, my big fears going in is like some kid half my age, just like, just like fucking my shit up, you know, day in and day out. And actually the young guys have been really nice. Uh, I really, I like the atmosphere. I like the the whole vibe there. And I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised with how, how well it's gone. How do you, um, the thing I find that's difficult is like, just feeling like I can't move the next day. <laughs> so, so how do you, how do you, do you have any, do you have any tips? Cause I'm even older than you are. And I think, uh, and I feel like, I feel like that's like the biggest challenge is like, how can I do this multiple times a week? If I feel like I've got to take days off to recover from the first time. Dude, go get a massage. Get a massage like once a week uh-huh. for two months. You know, like do just do it. Just you know, the same way you have to like dive into the deep end of the pool uh-huh. to train. Like dive into the deep end for like taking care of yourself, man. Just like figure something, figure out what it is that your body needs. Uh-huh. I know I need to be stretching way more than I do, uh-huh. but you know, if I can find the time, I like I will just. You know, Jackson Heights is like littered with massage places, uh-huh. and uh, some of them are real skanky, and some of them are real good. So uh-huh. find find someone who you can trust. Find the right level, know. the right level for you. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> I've I've been to like one of those joints over there where I was definitely apprehensive out there in Jackson Heights, uh, but uh-huh. I got in there and it was like a weird old you know building like you know converted factory building or something and it had it was somewhere between like a like a, a military hospital in 1955 and a massage parlor. <laughs> Um, nice, but uh, but it's it, like a like a Jacob's Ladder massage parlor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> perfect, yeah. yeah. But uh, this lady, yeah, be- yeah, definitely. <laughs> I walked into a place and then they're like, "I gotta go," and you just you just gotta turn around and leave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this lady beat the shit out of me too. Um, yeah. but it was it was good. Um, good. yeah, I, I so now like with uh, you know, it's it's possible that you're like every uh other sort of artist where it's really hard to be in the present and just appreciate what you have and you're always looking for like what's the next thing or where am i trying to grow this to i'm curious about you know in your you know like here let me just say this like you see what's happening right now with uh you know you you look at ariel hawani right you know self-made uh person that had just a just a dream and has made it to espn you know and, right. and, and, the, right. and the guy is the fucking Bob Costas of MMA and deserves every bit of it, you know? Um, sure. And, and I, I love how MMA, the MMA world, the bubble as people call it, um, is, is so riddled with these people that are doing really interesting different things that become sort of the, 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 the champions of their, their thing, even if it's like nutrition and like the sort of George Lockhart types, or you talk about, you know, all, all the things that surround the fighters and the coaches, you know, and, and uh, the culture and the journalists, you know, and you even look like at tap out or something like that. 
that, like fashion yeah. lines that just sprouted right out of the sport. Yeah, and things that also should just go away, but still. Um, <laughs> still. Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and that's the fun part, right, is seeing how, especially like, um, you know, um, you, you, I suppose maybe more intellectual type or conscious sort of thinking, trying to overthink things all the time type people versus like uh, the, the sort of cliche um, uh, steroided uh, tap out shirt people. Um, there's just so many, in- the culture itself I find so fast, uh, fast iterating and so fascinating. It's like, it's, and I, it's not like any other subculture that I have ever sort of been at a point of even vaguely understanding. Like, it's so interesting. And it's all about seeing how the martial arts sort of ethos really kind of uh, kind of trickles down through a lot of different people doing a lot of different things and everybody's got a, a, a sort of core tenet on some level of like I want to be the person that, that does this thing the best and so uh, getting back to my original sort of angle or question is just kind of like where where do, where do you uh, what's 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 your mountaintop well there's um, two guys in the sports illustration canon who um one who i grew up um following his work just because i live in new york and he was the new york daily news you know sports cartoonist and his name was bill gallo and i just you know kind of took it for granted and as i started doing mma squared i was like i can you know be this guy for our sport you know this is completely within my my grasp you know partially because i have the skills and i have a you know a sense of humor about the, the absurdness of what it is that we watch and on top of that there's like a bunch of horrific you know injustices that are perpetuated all the time on a regular basis it's like you know i have what i bring and then there's the the baggage that the sport brings and you know you put those two together and it's like i can do this and that's when i, when I sat down with uh with nate wilcox who runs buddy elbow that's a big uh that was a big part of my pitch like you know i, I grew up watching this guy chronicle new york sports and i think that i can do that for for mma in general and uh, they would you know him and the people of Fox they liked what I had to to say and you know he had some good points about how to present it and that's how we all put it together and then I don't know if you're familiar with this guy Leroy Neiman he's a real famous illustrator of NFL and he's not really on my radar but when I started doing MMA work uh, other people in the art world collectors and curators would mention him over and over and I, I you know obviously researched his work and some of it is really impressionistic and I see how and another uh, this woman who deals in the states she's like every time a wealthy man dies he's got a couple of Leroy Neiman prints or paintings or drawings in his, in his uh, you know um, that he's dispersing to his heirs you know part of their inheritance and that was like a, you know a, a good wake up call that like you know there are men who want uh, a sense of you have a sense of refinement and a sense of taste and a, a concept of culture, and they want to see the things that they like represented in, you know, uh, a way that depicts craftsmanship and is not necessarily just you know, like I said, the glory, the money shot, you know, for better or for worse, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. And uh, so I, I keep a lot of those things. The Bill Gallo and Leroy Neiman, like the, 
basically, I, it sounded like you were going to ask how does how does one grow in the sport or in the media, like the way Ariel Hawani had a dream, and similarly, I feel like you know one of the places that MMA is really lacking is a sense of history, and I think that is heavily because it's not a team sport. Like, you know, if if the kid grows up here in New York, they could be a Yankee fan, and they immediately get to uh, join the, the the halls of, you know, greatness that go back to Babe Ruth mm-hmm. because they like the Yankees today. And similarly, you know, if you are like a, you know, an angry, misguided youth and you fall in with punk rock kids, you immediately join the ranks of like the Clash and the Sex Pistols and the Ramones mm-hmm. because you like, I'm into punk rock, you know, and you join the history of punk rock. And with MMA, like you become a fan of a fighter and then that fighter, you know, they retire. They're going to die one day, you know, and it's, that's part of one of the difficult things about the sport's ability to maintain fans and maintain uh, momentum. And, you know, it goes through its growth periods, and eventually the person who got you into, you know, like I, I was a big Crow Cop fan, and I had to watch <laughs> him get older. You know, that was, you know, I remember when he had his rematch with Gonzaga. That was one of the few times I was like, I am looking up the results before I decide if I'm going to watch this fight. I refuse to watch, you know, somebody who got me into the sport, you know, get decimated for a second time by his uh, rival. And so I, I don't know if that, you know, then I feel like, you know, the people who are into the sport today, they can trash people who were into the sport 10 to 15 years ago, rather than having a shared sense of history. And that's one of the things that I think I can, I can help people understand the sport in a greater context, why what's going on now is just like what was going on then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because, you know, one one example of, of the fact that it's possible, I think, is and it's a rather obvious example. But, you know, the world of boxing is so well documented through, you know, uh, you know, the classic books that, you know, nonfiction books that have been written about boxing, as well as, you know, fictional books that have been written, you know, within the milieu of professional boxing in America. There's plenty of, you know, fine art examples of beautiful, you know, po- paintings of boxers and films about boxing and stuff. And um, uh, and I think that that you know that's an example where you know generally speaking we fall in love with a fighter but but you know when i was a kid i loved boxing because my dad loved boxing and i loved muhammad ali because he was the champ but my dad loved muhammad ali when he was cassius clay because he was alive then you know what i'm saying and so there is there is like boxing somehow does carry that history with it even though it's not a team sport but mma as we know it is insanely young and i think i think part of it is is the 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 surviving of it for many years was what the concern was as opposed to the storytelling of the the history of it you know um and i also think right. too because it is so young and because it is so complicated you know it i am and i'm going to say this and i'm probably going to be wrong but it it only feels rather recent that it's gotten to a place where it's like we're beginning to see what this thing is actually going to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. it's grown and yeah, changed no, so right. drastically. You're totally right. It is, we're, we're at such uh, an, um, what's the word? Not infancy, but like really 
barely in maybe adolescent stage mm. where the archetypes are only now um, forming. And I hate to say it like this, but and, and multiple generations will have to pass away before <laughs> they can truly be, um, you know, enshrined, you know, like, uh, you know, we as a culture have trouble, you know, understanding how to lionize people mm. when they're alive, you know, because it, it gives them unbelievable amounts of power and <laughs> is not the right thing to do. But then people get great, grossly underappreciated or downplayed, and then they pass on, and then like hagiography comes out, and you know tries to paint them as uh, you know far greater than they were. I mean, I guess that's just every culture, right? Mm. But you know, I I, I kind of feel like I don't know, the Fertitas, Dana White, Hoyce Gracie, Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, even Ronda Rousey and Conor McGregor, like they're alive. Yeah. It's so hard to write history while these people are still here. Yeah, that's a good point. And like and like you say it's it's when your history is I mean I mean you know, I mean, it depends on what we're discussing as the history, because obviously we can dive all the way back into ancient martial arts, but but in terms of the modern history, you know, it's 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 you know we only have 25 years of the UFC, for instance, you know, and, and all of the stuff that led to that. But even the beginnings of the UFC, like you say to current fans, they see that stuff and they're like, that's that shit was terrible. You know what I mean? They don't understand right, anything right. about it. You know, they're like, why is that guy in a gi? You know what I mean? Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> or even like, think about, what is it like? Uh, maybe like the early 2000s or mid 2000s when, you know, somebody would score a takedown and then the guy on bottom would be like, all right, I'm going to lock up closed guard. I'm going to grab the back of his neck and I'm just going to hold him until the ref gets us up. Mm -hmm. Like that was, that was just part of the sport for a minute. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, like, you know, like, you know, as a couple of old guys trying to roll around on the mats, it's like, I know, man, one of the first things I learned was, hey, when you're Donna and you've got this guy in full guard, you're in control. I know you're on your back and it seems like a bad place to be, but you've got all the options right now. And this dude's got to get out of your guard. That's the, his only thing he can do is get the hell out of your guard. Really? I mean, obviously in, in MMA, there's posturing and there's maybe some ground and pound possibilities. But, you know, I see a triangle choke coming your way. <laughs> you know, So, so it's, yeah, it's exactly. like it's that, just that part of the game, just like you say, just that alone has is so radically different now. Um, and it's that, that it really does look like a different sport. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really crazy. And it's one of the things I love about it. I love the fact that I'm watching the cutting edge of this thing, just burning man. And like month to month, it's like, holy shit. I can't believe I just saw a person do that. Like, wait, wait, we see oh, yeah. is Addis Who's I decide you fighting next. Adesanya. Oh, that's, Fine. Um, is he fighting Silva? Did that happen, or is he going to fight? I think so. He's I think going he's going to. Yeah. yeah. See, I don't know, man. I, I, in the reality of that fight, given Silva's Silva's recent fighting, and I'm a bit worried about it. I'm a bit freaked out about it. But the 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 MMA fan in me, just the person who loves this sport, I just can't even believe that we're going to watch this one guy who has been shockingly uncannily uh, ridiculously original and creative and amazing go against the guy who's like the kind of the new version of that in many ways but young and yeah. fucking fast and growing insanely quickly and it's just like i mean those guys to me represent i mean outside of the the steroids or whatnot just in terms of 
I really do, even with the steroids, I really honestly feel like there's no doubt in my mind that Anderson Silva is a, a great embodiment of what it is to be a martial artist in terms of his unique expression of his body in fighting. You know what I mean? And, um, oh, 100%. You know, and, and to it, see two guys like that, it's amazing. You... Go ahead. There'll be moments what? Oh, well, sorry. I don't know. It's That's easy okay. to get excited about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it, there are moments where you could say you know like there's there's the fighting before this person and then fighting after this person and he's one of those people like I mean he's a little bit like like uh, watching him fight is a little bit like taking like LSD you you go into an Anderson Silva fight and then when it's over you're like, there's so many more possibilities in the world now, you know, whether it's, you know, the- just like LSD. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, you, you, you know, you know, the saying like, uh, an, ex- an, an expanded mind, you know, an open mind can never be closed again. You know, like once you, <laughs> once you've seen it, like once you threw that front kick, yeah. you know, that's it. You're in it's the new over. dimension. You yeah. can do it. You know, I, how many times have you seen people throw the, the Tony Frickland's reverse elbow? Like, it happens all the time. Mm. Not, not like people are scoring with it and knocking people out like him, but there it gets into people's brains. I think uh, John Jones threw it against Glover Teixeira. Mm-hmm. That was one of the more, like, like look, there it is. Championship fight. Two good guys, you know? It's just, it's just in there, you know? Yeah. And... Um, I think that people who add to the to like the the canon of of what is real and tangible and possible, those are the people who just transform the sport. Like, like I said, you know, there's the sport before them and the sport after them. And yeah. you're right, the steroid thing. You know, like guess what? If if everyone's on steroids, only Anderson is the Anderson's the only one who managed to do those things right even on yeah on or on or not right yeah and nate diaz tells us everyone's on steroids so what are we are we yeah. supposed to argue with nate diaz <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i love yeah, seriously <laughs> I, lo- I love that uh i love that nate diaz is the lowest common denominator of the truth <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> he's he's such a sort of uh He's just an uh, an extract of reality, and it's such a strange uh, package for that to be coming from. You know, <laughs> he's, he's really a, like yeah. a, an oracle, uh, <laughs> honestly. One hundred percent. Yeah, and, and it's it's fascinating that you that we got to watch him like go from being a kid to this person who has like you know the the the, the what's the word the. Uh, <laughs> like the defining perspective of <laughs> what it is to be a fighter. <laughs> yeah. And so, so, um, so I, I guess, you know, what we've accomplished here in this conversation is, well, number one, you should definitely draw, uh, an octagon that is also sort of an Aldous Huxley doors of perception, eight, maybe the doors of perception, maybe there's eight doors. Uh, right. right. <laughs> so, well, uh, just like spider has eight limbs. Yes. You're going to put a spider in that um, shit. <laughs> but, so can, uh, t- tell, tell the, uh, the listeners, uh, where they can find you and all of your, your things. Cause I know that you've got a lot of great prints and a lot of stuff available. 
Well, you can go to chrisreeny.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. That's my website. Um, I have some work there for sale. Um, the John Jones Suicide King, I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's yeah. Really, that was like a little breakthrough piece for me where I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm not going to be just nice. I'm going to kind of call it like it is yeah. or like I see it. That's great. And uh, that was another, you know, one of those you know, moments as an artist where you're like, all right, I'm going to like not only make visual imagery, but I'm going to make a statement. And um, my work is on bloodyelbow.com every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. It's called MMA Squared. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we do a single com- single panel comic. Thursday, I do a long form piece. And Friday, I do a caption contest. So bloody elbow every day, 9 a.m. East Coast time. Right on. Hey, man, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to, to hang with us, and I'm definitely going to hit you up the next time I'm in the city, whether you like it or not. Oh, I would like that, I would like that very much. Thank <laughs> you, man. You're always, I, I, let me tell you, one of the reasons I've enjoyed working in the media is because I'm a relentless uh extrovert and socializer <laughs> and I've uh, I've reached out to like every media member you can imagine and uh, and I have no problem uh, just saying hey what's up uh, <laughs> you want to go hang out you know, like yeah. I went to Vegas I did uh, the 2014 Fan Expo I must have I, I went out to dinner with a whole bunch of uh, people whose work I admire their writing their photography their video work and that's one thing I would say to people, you know, who are in this industry is like, you know, if you're doing your thing, um, you know, don't, don't shy away from trying to go face to face with people. It really does matter. It does. I think it helps a lot. Man, that's 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 so sound and so in line with our last. Uh, uh, you know, we have a couple of episodes in the bank right now, but one is with uh, uh, unknown MMA uh, Amanda Sanchez, and so uh, that's very much in line with like I think what she kind of expressed us to. Really cool. Thanks again, um, and uh, we'll be looking out for you, and we'll make sure to to shout out uh, this work. And honestly, anybody listening, whether you're into fighting or not, you you should definitely take a look at Chris's work because this is how creativity meets uh, emerging culture and uh, primordial culture all the, all at the same time. Yeah. Uh, it's a really just interesting take on things. And, and man, I can't you know thank you enough. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, by the way, I'll drop my Twitter handle. I'm on there every day. Oh, yeah. It's at ReeMMA. R-I-N-I-M-M-A. Thank all you. Right. So, guys, thank you so much for... I know I can be a little verbose... Thanks for having me on. It's no fun talking to somebody who doesn't like to talk. So, yeah, yeah we love it. Chris, I, okay. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to get this all hooked up with me. And uh, uh, great to talk to you. And, and we'll keep an eye on, on your work and we'll have you back on soon. Thank you so much. Have a great one. All right, man. We're out. Later.
Okay guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and, and help us out. Again, anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on support this podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.